Hey, my name is Phil, and this is my wife, Meredith, and we are the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We're so glad that you have connected with us here today and that you're getting ready to listen to a message that we know is going to build a resilient faith in your life. Right now, in this moment and in our days ahead, let's continue declaring Jesus over every situation. Enjoy the message. All right, let's get into it. I'd love for you to look with me at 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. You don't necessarily have to turn it there because it's quick and we're gonna get straight to it. It says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. These are the words of Paul, and this is where we're gonna start today. Spirit of the living God, I thank you that you are here in this place. I thank you for your presence, I thank you for your anointing, and for your word, for your goodness, and your faithfulness. And I thank you for your example. Help me to deliver this message today, God, as we follow you in all that we do. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Awesome. That's good. I don't need anything now. Thank you. I was so glad when I looked up here to see everyone's kind of sitting in their normal seats. Everyone's in their places. It makes me feel nice and settled when you are where I expect to find you. That's a little bit of a joke, but we kind of have habits, don't we? If we come in and we basically sit in the same place every time we come in. Our online family, I would almost put money on the fact that your setup looks pretty much like it looks every weekend. You probably have your coffee in the same spot or your TV set just the same way as you watch on YouTube. However you like to engage, we kind of have a tendency of getting into a routine. We are people of habit. All of us, we just tend to be people who fall into habits one way or another. We have things that we like to do. We have the way that we like to do them. Some of our habits are really great habits and some of our habits aren't such great habits. I know I have habits. I have habits that I go to every single day, habits that I come into, habits that I tend to step into. I have some really good habits, like I am really good at drinking the right amount of water every day. I have a habit of getting good hydration. And I'm also kind of one of those, like like you would think I was, oh, I don't wanna throw an age out there because then somebody might be offended, but like older than I am with the way that I get about water. Like if somebody comes to me with just about anything, they're like, I have a headache. I'm like, "Mm, have you drink any water today? Like, honestly, you could come to me and be like, I think I might have broken my leg. And I'd be like, "Mm, hydration. Have you had water today? Like, I am very serious about it. And before we move on, I want you to know that the new number is not eight eight ounce glasses of water per day. The new updated version is that you should take your body weight, have that, and then drink that many ounces of water. So like, if you weigh 200 pounds, you should have that. That's 100 ounces. And you should drink at least 100 ounces of water water a day. It is a good habit to build. And I am good at drinking the right amount of water every day. I have a habit of it. Every day I get up, I have a water bottle, I fill it up. Sometimes my husband fills it up for me because he knows how much I care about this. And then I drink that water all day long. It's my rhythm. It's my habit. I have other habits that are not so good. I also have a, have a habit of forgetting to put the keys back on the hook where they go and leaving them in my purse, which is not where they belong. 
Now that might not seem like a big deal to you, except for that my husband and I share the car, so every time he goes to find the keys, he's like, Meredith, where are the keys? Because for some reason, I have a habit of dropping the keys in my bag and putting them away. I have unintentional habits. You have these as well. Habits of just what we tend to do. We move between one thing to another. So for example, I have an unintentional habit of every time I open my phone and respond to a text message, for some reason, as soon as I close out of that text message, I go and open social media. It's an unintentional habit, but the habits that I've built are creating a rhythm and a pattern in my life. The things that we do on a daily and a weekly basis determine the trajectory of our life. Our successful outcome or unsuccessful outcome is directly linked to what we do every single day. So we're starting a series today called Jesus Habits, that if we reflect our lives on something, if we're going to model our lives on something, if we have these habits that we go to, these rhythms that we go to, these places that we build, the things that we reflected on ought to be the things of Jesus. And this is what Paul is saying. When he writes to the church in Corinth, he's writing this letter to them and he is telling them, I want you to model your life after me because I have modeled my life after Christ. I have created a pattern in my life. I have created a rhythm in my life. I have created a way in my life that looks like Jesus. And so he says to them with great confidence, when you look at me, think of Jesus. When you pattern after me, think of Jesus. When you walk in this way, think of Jesus. Think of all of the things that he did and do those things in your life. Because Paul knows what we all should know, that people that we spend our time with and the people that we look after are the greatest influence on the types of habits we will develop. Come on, we've all heard it. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Oh, come on. You guys haven't heard that? Let's try it again. Show me your friends and I'll show you your There you go. Your future. I will show you your future. Why? Because we tend to pick up the habits and the rhythms and the things of the people who are around us. Not that long ago, some of them are good and some of them are bad and some of them are just things. Not that long ago, Phil and I were watching a service of a church that we know in Italy. The lead pastor of this church is a guy from Australia who spent some time in the States and then went and planted a church in Italy. And so we were listening to him and it was so interesting because we'd been listening for about five minutes and I told Phil, I could tell you what church group of people, what kind of connection body network of churches he studied in when he was in the States because of the rhythm that he uses when he's praying. We tend to pick up habits of those who are closest to us. It's why if you want to live a healthy and fit lifestyle, you should get some friends who have a healthy and fit lifestyle. 
because the habits of their life are going to rub off on you and you are going to start to do healthy and fit things. Instead of going out to eat a large pizza altogether, you're going to go to a metro park for a walk because the habit of fit friends is to go out for a walk instead of to go out for a heavy meal. If you want to be debt free, you should start to hang out with other people who are debt free or are pursuing a debt free lifestyle because the habits that they have developed, that's why you should as a life group go, you know what? We are together going to go after this because we tend to pick up the habits of the people that we are with. And when Paul started writing to the church in Corinth, he knew this. And so he said to them, when you are looking for an example, I say to you with great confidence, look at me because I have looked at Christ. This ought to be the, the statement, the belief, the thought of every believer everywhere that if you are looking for an example, you can look to me because I have modeled my life after Christ. That we should be able to say with such confidence, with such sureness, with such steadfastness, that the example that I'm giving you, that the habits that I have built in my life are habits that I have picked up from spending time with Jesus, that they are time, that they are habits that I have gotten from spending proximity with Jesus, not with just anybody, but with Jesus, because he is our perfect example, not because I'm so great, but because he's so great, not because I'm blameless, but because he's blameless, not because I have answers, but because he has answers. This great God of ours, this Jehovah Jireh of ours, this eternal sacrifice of ours, this loving, caring, good, gracious, faithful, just Jesus that we follow and that we serve. Follow my example because my example is an example that I have picked up off of Jesus. The habits of my life are the habits of Jesus. Here's the thing about following Jesus though. It's not always that easy. The things that he has habits of in his life often go directly against my own instinct and my own earthly, natural intuition. They butt up against what culture is telling me and they push against what my flesh and myself want to do because I'm really a lot about self-promotion and that doesn't seem to be the message that Jesus is continually giving us. So to pick up on his habits, I have to learn to follow. Have you ever um, like been following someone in a car so like they're driving one car and you're driving another car and you're following them to the destination and you vaguely know where the destination is, but they said, I know where we're going more confidently. So you said, okay, you go first, but you kind of have an idea of it. And then they start taking a different route than the route that you know to get there. It really throws you off, doesn't it? And then you find yourself conflicted on the inside and you're like, I kind of thought we should have gone right back there, but they kept going straight. So now I don't know, should I bail and go right or should I stick with them and keep going in this direction? And, and then you have to follow really closely with them because now you're kind of out of the space of what you thought that you knew and the direction that you thought you were going. Following Jesus is kind of like that. You kind of feel like you have an idea what direction you're going in and then when you thought he was gonna turn right, he kept going straight. 
and now you're out here and you're not quite sure which way you should be going, but now you've already committed to following Jesus and you're already on this route and you're already on this path. So the only real solution and option that you have now is you just have to learn how to follow him closely so that whenever he does take his turn, you're there with him. And whenever he goes back this way, you're there with him too. And when he says, we gotta stop now, you learn how to stop. And when he says, we're gonna go this way now, you learn how to go. You can't let there get too much space between you and Jesus because he has a way of doing things a little bit differently than the way that you thought he was going to do things. And so if you let there become too much distance, you might end up taking a left when he takes a right. You have to learn to follow closely with Jesus. Now, don't feel disheartened if you've ever felt like you weren't quite sure which direction Jesus was turning on you and which way he was going and what he was trying to model for you because some of his closest disciples, it took them a long time to get it. Over the next few weeks, we're gonna be talking about some of the habits of Jesus, some of the things that when we read through the gospels, we see Jesus repeatedly doing at the core and at the center of what he does. And today, I want to talk to you about Jesus and his habit of serving. And I wanna talk to you about how his disciples didn't quite get it. If you want to turn with me to the book of Mark, we're going to look at Mark 10, when even these closest disciples were missing the mark still. By the time we get to this portion of Mark 10 that we're going to jump into, Jesus has been teaching, and then he's been walking with his disciples on the way to Jerusalem, and he has just told them for like the third time that he is getting ready to die and they still aren't quite picking up on it. And even though he has just told them how he is getting ready to be the sacrifice, how he is getting ready to be the lamb taken to the slaughter, how he will be crucified, instead of sympathizing with him, instead of asking, wow, Jesus, that's heavy. What would you like us to do? Instead of just maybe being quiet, James and John pipe up with this thing where they say, um, yeah, that's cool, Jesus, but what we were wondering is, since you're gonna be seated in like a cool chair, could we get chairs to the right and to the left of your chair so that like we could also be recognized? Because you know, we've been pretty good disciples over the last couple years, and we would like some awesome recognition for the way that we are such good. Have you ever heard of something so tone deaf in your life? I mean, Jesus just told them that he is getting ready to die. And their next question is, could we also have some thrones that are next to your thrones? Completely self-centered, completely self-focused, completely focused on the next way that they can gain prominence and completely avoiding and ignoring the pain and the suffering that Jesus is currently in and is getting ready. Can I just say that if we had more believers who would slow down and listen to the tone of what is happening and what other people are saying to you right now, we could avoid a lot of pain. We could avoid a lot more unnecessary suffering. We could avoid a lot more distancing and instead draw people close. If instead of like James and John, we didn't go, that's cool, I'm gonna jump over what you just said and talk about what I've been thinking about anyway or tell you exactly how right I am anyway or just let you know exactly what scripture says about that thought that you have anyway. How about you just pause for a moment and say, I just wanna recognize that you just shared something pretty heavy with us, Jesus. But that's not what James and John did. 
They said, can we get some cool seats next to your chair up seated in glory? And this is where we jump in to the story. Jesus is responding to them in Mark 10 and 42. It says, and Jesus called them to him and said, he said, I need you to get in close for this because you obviously have not caught it yet. He said, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord over them and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What is he saying? He's saying, I am giving you a picture. The reason that I came is not to be great in the way that the world defines greatness. The reason that I came is to serve as many as I can. And what I want you to do is replicate the thing that I have demonstrated for you. I want you to become imitators of me, not imitators of those who you have seen in great roles, not imitators of those who you consider earthly leaders, imitators of me. This becomes the differentiating factor for Jesus, that the Son of Man came to serve, not to be served. It blew their minds. James and John and the other disciples were standing there in the midst of Roman occupation. They were used to those who ruled over them ruling with rules and regulations, with iron fists, with harsh guidelines, with with intense punishments for those who stepped out of line. They were used to a command and control, understand who is the leader and the hierarchy in the room, otherwise you might lose your head for it type of rulership. When they thought of who great leaders were, this is the picture of what they had. Someone who stood up and made people to listen and forced them to get in line. And if that wasn't enough under the Roman occupation, their priests had gone to a place where the way that they defined how holy they were and how great they were was not by the goodness and the graciousness and the serving of others. It was by how stringent the guidelines they could make from the Old Testament law would be. It was how tightly they could follow the Mosaic law. They would say, let me put something heavy on you to just let you know exactly how small you are, exactly how little you are. So in their governmental leadership, they were used to harsh leaders. In their spiritual leadership, they were used to harsh leadership that was heavy and burdensome on them. The only picture that they had of what it meant to be great was this. And Jesus says, that's not the thing I'm talking about. When I want someone to be great among you, I want them to be a servant. I want them to learn how to serve others. And now there's a part of me that has to relate to James and John. There's a part of me that understands exactly where they're coming from. There's a part of me that empathizes with them and and understands that they're looking at Jesus, who is the greatest leader that they have ever known, who is the greatest leader that would ever walk on the face of the earth. And I am also kind of achievement 
oriented. That means if there's a next level, if there's a next greatest thing, if there's a next something awesome that we can do, if there's another award that can be had, I want that award. I don't necessarily need to get to it before you get to it. I just want to achieve it. And it's important to understand about yourself and find yourself. When I hear James and John, I hear two people that are like, if Jesus is going up, I want to come up as close to where Jesus is as I can get. That makes sense to me. They want the next best. I don't really relate to Peter. Peter had this thing about like always, he always had something to say immediately. Some of you connect with Peter. Peter doesn't, I'm always like, Peter, could you have just held on for 60 seconds and thought about that before you had to throw it out there? I don't connect with Peter like that, but James and John, I'm like, I get that. I get that. They saw Jesus was ascending and they said, I want to be in that place. The issue was they still didn't get it. They still thought that Jesus was coming for a political overthrow. They still thought that Jesus was coming to really be like the other leaders that they had known, the other definitions of greatness that they had known, and that he was just going to be better at it than these other people were. They didn't understand that he was coming to flip the script entirely and to do something totally different and totally new. The issue with the question that James and John are asking is that they are still trying to achieve greatness that is based on position, greatness that is based on power, and greatness that is based on visibility, and that has nothing to do with what Jesus came for. He just looks at them and he says, you want a position of greatness? You want a title? You want a seat that, that, that you can sit in somewhere so that people can see? No, that is not my form of greatness. When we talk about Jesus, when we talk about his habit of finding position, Jesus had a habit of kneeling to wash his disciples' feet. Jesus had a habit of crouching down to bring up a woman who was caught in the midst of adultery and meet her where she was. Jesus had a habit, Paul tells us when he's writing to the church in Philippians, of setting aside his godness so that he could descend to connect with you and I. Jesus says you're used to a positional power, but it's not about grasping up when you talk about my habits. It's about bending down to reach someone else. It's about kneeling to become closer to somebody else. The habit of Jesus was not about trying to reach to ascend to the next level of achievement. It was about descending and bending down to connect with someone who might be lost instead. They talked about power. They wanted power that would come from their position. They wanted power to rule over others. They wanted power to be able to dictate. They wanted power to begin to, to, do, to implement the things that they thought that Jesus was trying to do. And it's a good thing he didn't give them that kind of power because they still didn't quite get it. He said, the power that I'm giving you is not to rule over others. It's not to have dominion over other people. The kind of power I'm going to give you is a power that comes from 
from on high that will enable you to reach out and to serve others. It's a power that comes directly from heaven. It's a power that comes from being in continual connection with the Father in heaven, a power that descends on you so that you can go out and reach to other people, not to have dominion over them, but to draw them into the kingdom of God and his marvelous light. You want visibility. You want people to see you sitting there next to me looking great in your shiny, fancy chairs, acting like you've done something great. He says the, 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 the power that I'm giving you isn't a power that's gonna come that's going to allow you to sit in an elevated place so that others can look on you. He says, no, if others don't notice what you're doing, would you still do it? If no one knows your name, are you still happy to serve? If no one sees the way you're reaching out, are you still happy to show up? If no one applauds for you, if no one cheers for you, if no one likes you, this is so important because we have a time where we correlate visibility with success. There are all kinds of people that are cheered on for their visibility that are doing nothing. Nothing to better others, nothing to reach out for others. And there are all kinds of people who are making the world around them a better place, who are showing up to serve for those who are in need, who are showing up to serve for those who can't reach out for themselves, to serve for their families, who are showing up, whose names we will never know, whose profiles will never get a blue tick, whose likes we will never see, whose claps, who will never hear our applause, but heaven is cheering them on and heaven is rejoicing on their behalf and when they enter in they will get a list of things and many crowns as God says well done to you is the thing you're looking after the visibility of the here and now the applause of the here and now or are you waiting for heaven to pay attention to the way that you serve are you waiting for heaven to cheer on the way that you serve Jesus is saying to them my way is the way of serving and throughout the New Testament, there are about a half dozen words that we use to translate into the English word of serving. What it means to be a servant, what it means to show up and serve others. But in this context, in this space, the word that Jesus is using, the word servant that he uses here is one who waits on tables. A server, like a waiter or a waitress at a restaurant, someone who would bring the food to them, and it was used broadly to just refer to serving, but the picture it would have brought to their minds is the person who comes and brings food to them at a table. Servers are some of my favorite people in the whole world. I mean, they are the people who bring the food. They are awesome. Our son Winston is um, like just over a year old. So he's really interactive, but he doesn't have like a lot of words yet. And so when food starts to come to the table, he gets so excited. And immediately, as soon as he sees food coming, he starts like waving his hands and bouncing in his seat. And he starts making this really excited noise. He is pumped that the food is coming. I wish that I could tell you that I have grown out of that. 
But I often realize, like if we're out at a restaurant, I often realize as the servers start coming to the table, I catch myself, not in my head, not on the inside in my excited little heart, physically, visibly, externally, bouncing in my seat and I'm like, the servers are coming. The food is on its way. I get so excited. And come on, I know some of you are not as enthusiastic about it as I am, but on the inside, when you see those servers coming, you get that smile in your heart. You get the, you're like, yes, my food is on its way. That is the feeling that Jesus wants the people of your work, the people of your household to have when they see you coming. When the people of God start coming, other people should get that like, yes, the servers are on the way. Here they come. They're coming because they're coming to bring nourishment. That is what he is trying to give them. When you are serving someone else, you come to bring them nourishment. You come to feed their soul. You come to water their weary hearts, sometimes to physically feed their body, to physically bring water to those who are thirsty. The people of God, when others see us coming, they should be like, the servers are on the way. Here come the servers. Here here come the servers and they're bringing with them answers and they're bringing with them hope and they're bringing with them joy and they're bringing with them encouragement and they're bringing with them goodness and they're bringing with them life. Oh, the servers are on the way. Can you just imagine if you had a habit of serving at your job? If you had a habit of going into that meeting and when you walk in, instead of thinking about how can I get an edge up in this meeting so that they notice me, so that they'll give me a higher seat at the table, perhaps you would sit me at your right or your left, dear boss, is what you are thinking on your inside, just like James and John. But what if instead you went into that meeting thinking, how can I serve others? in this meeting today? How can I bring the best idea to the table? How can I help someone else push their ball ahead today? How can I help the greater good move forward today? How can I serve in this place? How would it feel if the people of God were those who came into the room and when you walked into that space, the rest of the boardroom got that smile on the inside that said, oh, the server is in this meeting today. I'm glad glad that they're here because they bring collaboration with them. I'm glad that they're here because they bring celebrating of others with them. That is what it should feel like when the people of God are in a space. Jesus defines greatness as servanthood. Jesus defines leadership as servanthood. Our work will be better when we serve. Our friendships are better when we serve. Our parenting is better when we serve. Our marriages are better when we serve. Because Jesus defines leadership as servanthood as the way that we think about each other, as the way that we care for each other. Christian headship is not about dominion. It's not about decisions. It's not about rulership. It's about servanthood. You wanna rule in your home? Be the chief server in your home. Lead the way in serving in your home. Lead the way about thinking of others in your home. We are here to serve. And we don't just serve on birthdays and on anniversaries and on holidays when we like to think a little bit extra about the other people in our world and serve them. No, we have a 
habit of serving. I have a daily, a weekly rhythm of serving in my life. Serving is not an event that we show up to and disconnect from. It is the regular habit and rhythm of how we do life because we are imitating Jesus every single place that we go into. It's why we moved Val from a one-week event in our year to multiple weekends going on throughout the year. And to be honest, we have a dream and we have a vision that we would be doing it every single weekend of the year because we have such a habit of showing up for our community and we will achieve that goal at the level that you lean in to serving in your community get signed up to find somewhere to serve this weekend you can do it in the corner you can do it on the website to create a rhythm and a habit of being the person that when others come and see you they say the servers are coming I see some blue shirts heading my way because the servers are on their way and they're bringing goodness with them they're bringing life with them they have shown up for their community we have a habit of serving as I start to close I have two questions and a statement for you question number one is when was the last time I was inconvenienced for someone else that word for is really important in this statement because it has to do with the direction. It has to do with the impetus of the inconvenience. If I said that I was inconvenienced by someone else, it means that it was their actions that caused me to be inconvenienced. If I am inconvenienced for someone else, it is because I have made a decision to do something that will serve that person better at my own inconvenience. Let me tell you how against our thoughts, how against our nature, how against our culture this is. I had to correct my autocorrect four times last night because it kept trying to change my sentence to when was the last time you were inconvenienced by someone else? Because we're used to being inconvenienced by someone else. You cut me off in traffic and I have been incredibly inconvenienced by you because the impetus of that action was on your decisions. But when was the last time that you said, you know what, I'm going to prefer you and I'm going to do something that is a, a bit inconvenient in my life so that your situation can be easier, so that you can have a better evening, so that you can get a little bit further ahead, so that I can help untilt the unweighed balances that's happening here. When was the last time you allowed and intentionally thought about being inconvenienced for someone else. Serving others doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be inconvenienced. There are times that we serve that it will not necessarily be inconvenient to you, but if the answer to this question does not come to you quickly and you have to think back a long way to the last time you were inconvenienced for someone else, I would suggest that you are probably not in a habit of serving because serving other people will on a semi-regular basis cause you to become lesser so that their load can be lighter when was the last time you were inconvenienced for someone else and then a really simple question is this helping others or just me 
Is the course of action that I'm taking, is the decision that I'm making about my business, will it help other people? Does it think about others at the same time or does it just think about me? What's best for me, what's most comfortable for me, what's most expedient for me, what I want. This question is not a comfortable question to ask yourself regularly throughout your day because if you're honest with yourself, if I'm honest with myself, there are many times that I have to say, well, this was best for me. This time was best for me. This meal was best for me. This setup, a lot of my examples have to do with food. I like to eat a lot. Everything about this was made with me in mind because it takes almost zero effort for me to think about me. I can think about me in the drop of a hat. I'm always thinking about me. What do I want to do after this? What do I want to eat after this? Where do I want to go? I have to intentionally go, wait, wait, wait. Does that also help the people that I'm with? Does that also help someone else in the middle of it? Is this helping others or just me? And a statement. Trust God. The thing that keeps us from serving most readily is this belief that if I don't do it, it won't happen. If I don't look out for me, if I don't take care of me, if I don't stand up for me, if I don't make a way for me, if I don't hoard up stuff for me, then it's never going to happen. And let's go full circle. He is the God who always provides. Means every opportunity you need, he will provide it for you. Every resource you need, he's already sent it to be into place. Trust in God. The relationship is there in the timing that you need it. Trust in God and lean not on your own understanding. Trust God and you will be released to have a habit of serving. If you're in this room, I'd love for you to stand, however you lean in, if you're watching online, just lean in as we finish here. I love the heart of serving. I think it's at the core of what Jesus came to do. I think it's at the core of the way that he has asked us to replicate him. And I want others to have that feeling when we come into the room. I get so much joy out of spotting other servers out of spotting people who are showing up to serve others. I was at an event not too long ago and the event was centered around, it was kind of a small private event and it was centered around celebrating a friend of mine and it was being hosted at a new business in town that's not opened yet. And when I came in, I was like, this place is beautiful, it's really cool. And the person who owns the business said, it is, we're really excited about it, but we're not talking about our new business tonight. We're here to focus on this person. Maybe that sounds small to you, but I think it sounds small to you if you have never been an entrepreneur who has opened a small business. If you've ever opened a small business, you know that every single person you can get to come in contact with your business is a person that you need to connect to the work that you're doing. That you're like, I need people to buy into this. I need people to get connected to this. But when I heard that owner say that, that inside thing was like, whoo, I found a server because I just found somebody who trusts God. 
and who knows how to say what's best for the person we're here to celebrate tonight is not me talking about my thing. And if I serve them well and trust God, he'll take care of everything else. If I serve this person well, if I show up for them, if I think about what's best for them, if I allow myself to be a little bit inconvenienced in this moment, I will trust that God will show up. I'm always so grateful for this house, for the ways that you continually serve. I was thinking the other day about some of our volunteers who showed up all throughout last year while we were at Stay at Home, continually here on a weekend to make sure that all of the rest of us were able to participate in services, the way that they served. Thinking about the spouses who one of the spouses stepped away from their job to be with kids last year so the other one could continue pursuing it, the ways that you have served one another. I love being a part of this staff who doesn't just show up to serve on a weekend, doesn't just show up to serve at events, but are volunteering in our community, are serving in boards and serving on different organizations. Sometimes I forget what a wonderful environment it is to work in because we live with a group of people that are continually trying to out-serve each other who are in meetings saying, how can I make your team a little bit better? How can I show up for your group a little bit better? Here, let me get that chair for you. Here, let me get that door for you. And I forget that that's not where all of you live. But you get to be that person where you are. You get to go into your school environment. You get to go into your work environment. You get to step into that place and be the one who brings the food to the table who have, helps others feel that feeling that someone is coming who brings nourishment. When I was in my uh, early 20s, I started working for a production company and I made this transition. I got hired into the production company because I had a background in dance and performance and things like that. And after my first couple months, one of the leaders came to me and they said, oh, I was so glad to see that you're doing well. I was so glad to see that you were able to make the transition. Sometimes we hire people and they're not able to make the transition into understanding that it's not about them anymore, that their role now is not to be in the midst of the light. It's to make sure someone else is shining. But I can see that you get it. I can see that you get what it means to create the space for someone else to shine. And I started thinking about what John wrote at the beginning of his gospel when they said the true light has come, the true light being Jesus. And John says, yeah, yeah, the true light has come, but I'm not him. In fact, my entire role is to get you to look at the true light. When we serve others, we say, hey, 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 look this way, but don't look this way to look at me. Now that I've got your attention, what I really wanted is I want you to look this way. I want you to look at the true light. I want you to see the servant of all. I want you to see the one who came and who died and who was resurrected for you. When Paul says, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ, it's because you might be the closest thing to Christ that someone gets to. And when you serve them and you say, be an imitator of me, you grab their attention. And then you say, good, now that I've got your attention, what I really want you to see is the Christ. 
What I really want you to see is who I model my habits after. What I really want you to see is not how well I serve, but where I learned to serve. If you are looking for a manual for living, it does not come bound up in paper. It came wrapped up in skin, and his name is Jesus. He is the servant of all. Be an imitator of Christ. I just want you to repeat after me. Say, I, say, imitate after me. As I imitate Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you've spoken today, God, and I'm grateful for the way that you came, Jesus, to serve us. We thank you for your perfect, flawless example. And we ask you over the next several weeks to help us lean into who you are and build habits in our life that imitate you well. Help us shine the light, Jesus, in your mighty name.